You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to your Valentine's Views podcast for Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween for uh, all of you. If you've got little folks out there, hopefully uh, hopefully you guys have fun. Hopefully you all stay safe out there as you, uh, as you enjoy the day. All right. Uh, also, you know, please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio wherever you listen to podcasts or like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. All right, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View here with Tony Del Genio as always on Monday morning as we uh, as we look back at the Giants game on Sunday. This one, a 27-13 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. Tony, uh, how you doing this morning? I'm doing just fine, Ed. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, Sunday was uh, a disappointing ending for the New York Giants. But when I looked at that game, you have to look at what the Giants did through seven games, I think, Tony. And, and it's just, I mean, it, it was wonderful to watch through seven games. But you're just not going to win every single game by coming from behind in the fourth quarter you're not going to win every single one score game in the NFL. That's just not sustainable. It's just not going to happen every week, especially as you start to play better teams on the road. It's difficult to win and you can't count on always being the team that, that gets things right. And the other team making mistakes, especially as you step up in competition, which the giant, you know, the giants played a good team on Sunday. That's right. Yes. Seattle is a better team. I think than most people are giving them credit for They're hot right now. I think this was their third win in a row They're, If I remember correctly, the highest scoring team in the NFC, which I think may, many people don't realize they've scored more points than Philadelphia, for example. And people think Philadelphia has this tremendous offense, which they seem to do, but Seattle's actually, I think scored more points than Philadelphia has so far, although they may have a game in hand on, on Philadelphia. Nonetheless, you know, they're, they're right up there. And their defense is getting better. Their defense, I think, was was terrible to start the season, but it's getting better. And maybe, you know, that's to be expected. I believe they were they were changing from from the old cover three that that Pete Carroll uh, uh, ran for uh, many, many years in Seattle, the Legion of Boom. And they're they're switching over, I believe, to more uh, zone defense, more too high safety, although I don't know how much of it they played yesterday, but uh, but they're getting better at the defense that they're playing. And I thought that the Giants actually played pretty poorly yesterday. And still, 
you had a game that was 13-13 with 11 minutes to go. And so I take that as a, you know, as, as still a, a sign for encouragement. As you say, you just can't win all of those close games at the end. Absolutely. I mean, this game played out the same way as almost every other Giants game this year. It was a one score or a tie game into the fourth quarter, into the last 10 or 11 minutes. And it's just that this time, it was the Giants who made the mistakes. It was Richie James with the fumbled punt that cost the Giants points. Two fumbled punts, in fact, that ended up costing them 10 points. It was the Giants who had a defensive breakdown with the Dory Jackson getting burned by Tyler Lockett. It was the Giants' offense this time, instead of being able to answer Seattle going three and out, in the fourth quarter when the Giants needed a drive to 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 get points and for me it just the way the game played out the Giants have done a lot of wonderful things in the first half but behind all of that I think that we've known that there are limitations there's a pretty there's a pretty narrow path to victory for the Giants based on some of their some of their weaknesses, the lack of of big time playmaking from the wide receivers and from the tight ends. If you know if they don't get the big play from Saquon Barkley, then they have to get it from Daniel Jones' legs. And Seattle yesterday did a great job defending the quarterback run. Mm-hmm. And when teams defend the quarterback run, that takes a huge weapon away from the Giants' offense. And and I think what we saw was a game simply where the limitations of the way the Giants have to play were were pretty much exposed. Yeah, and I and I think you know people people forget what a good head coach Pete Carroll is. I mean, he he gained this reputation as a great coach for for the better part of a decade, and then as they kind of stumbled the last few years, all of a sudden. People's view of him, I think, changed, uh, and maybe it changed with that Super Bowl when he didn't when he didn't make uh, them call uh, Marshawn Lynch to go in for the clinching touchdown and decided to have Russell Wilson pass instead. And all of a sudden, I think people started thinking he was a jerk, and he uh, and he was was slow to to uh, to adapt his defense to the way things are uh, now in the NFL. But you know, overall, this guy is, is a very good coach and Seattle's a well-coached team. And, and I think that's, that's maybe one of the things that, that we've overlooked is that the, is that the Giants have played a couple of teams that I think are not all that well-coached and they've taken advantage of them to win the coaching battle. I thought yesterday they didn't win the coaching battle. Um, and as you say, they're, they're so, the Giants are so undermanned, uh, especially in the receiving core. Okay. You know, you've got a 13, 13 game in the fourth quarter and Daniel Jones is, is looking at, receivers like Marcus Johnson to throw to and and Darius Slayton who I, who had actually had a very good game yesterday had five five receptions uh but you know who's who's there for Daniel Jones to to pass to whereas Geno Smith who's having a great year and he played really well again yesterday and I thought he was a big part of the reason the Giants lost actually I thought the Giants had him dead to rights a couple of times that he escaped and he had good passes uh when he needed to but still 
he's got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf out there. And uh, and Daniel Jones doesn't have anything like that among the wide receivers. And he doesn't even have his top tight end. No, he's throwing the ball to Tanner Hudson yesterday. Mm-hmm. So who actually did a nice enough job, but he's yeah. still Tanner Hudson and he's not yeah. going to do anything dynamic. Like I said, there is... We've seen it, and you're absolutely right when it comes to coaching. It's not that the Giants got out-coached yesterday. I didn't think they got out-coached. It's just that Seattle didn't offer the Giants the opportunities by turning down points and you know making some questionable fourth-down decisions. They didn't offer the Giants added opportunities based on some of the decisions that they made. And that is in some ways what the giants have depended on so far this year is opponents to, to make mistakes, physical mistakes on the field, maybe some in some decisions that backfired and they've taken advantage of those. And I think for me, it's a reminder for Giants fans that as wonderful as this start is this is a Giants team that has a long way to go before you can look at it and say this is a championship caliber roster they're not winning with smoke and mirrors at this point but their but their path to victory the way they have to win games it's a narrow path and when it gets blocked the Giants don't have a lot of other options Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Brian Dable says every single week in his pressures, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, Every every week I hear him say, we've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. Every time someone tries to get him to get excited about what the team has done, he always he always says, we've got a long way to go. And and, and it's true. The, the Giants are are, uh, a, you know, a roster that should not have had a six and one record going into the game yesterday and six and two is a little bit more realistic but i would even say at six and two you wouldn't look at the Giants roster and say that team should be six and two so they've gotten great coaching they've gotten uh some breaks and some some good plays at the right time and yesterday they didn't get those and uh and actually they were lucky it wasn't worse because uh tyler lockett dropped a touchdown pass early in the game uh for sure and then he had that fumble uh that 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 adory jackson caused to i mean to be honest but but if it were not for that the giants wouldn't have had a touchdown in the game no, it was a uh, a two-yard scoring drive by the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome offense, two-yard scoring drive, which the highlight of, of that whole thing was seeing Nick Gates on the field and seeing Nick Gates mm-hmm. make a play. It's kind of an aside to our conversation, Tony, but I've written at Big Blue View, and I will continue to say this. For me, he's not going to win the award, but Nick Gates is the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. I don't care about statistics. I don't care about any of it. He's the comeback player of the year in my mind. Oh yeah. I, I, it's so exciting to see him out there. And, and I didn't notice him at first uh, on that, on that play that, uh, that the Giants scored on. First thing I noticed, actually, I was trying to figure out who, who was throwing the blocks and I saw number 77 and I said, who's who's 77 and seven, I had to Mm -hmm. look it up and 77 is uh, Jack Anderson who, uh, Uh, who uh, who the who the Giants uh, uh, got in the offseason? I had forgotten really that they had even gotten him. And then all of a sudden, they saw the replay, and they're showing number sixty-five blocking. So, oh my God, Nick Gates is in there! <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that that was that was pretty awesome to see him make a make a big block and and to to play like Nick Gates to play mm-hmm. with that sort of all-out aggression. 
that was a lot of fun. But Tony, I think we need to talk about, and we've kind of touched on it. The Giants lost on Sunday, and a couple of the reporters tried to get Brian Dable to take a big picture look at the Giants at the bye at the halfway point. I mean, let's be realistic. Sunday was a loss. Sunday exposed that there are limitations, I think, to some of to, to what the Giants are capable of right now with the roster that they have. But six and two is phenomenal at this point in the season. Six and two absolutely makes them a team that has, I mean, it's not a guarantee, and I don't care what all of these these prediction services say, you know, 80-something percent chance of making the playoffs and all of that. But they're absolutely a team that right now should be thinking, we can make the playoffs, we could get to 10 or 11 wins. And and so six and two, you know, nobody saw it coming. And and it's a it's a phenomenal first half of the season for for this Giants team. Absolutely. And you know, you look at some of the teams they've beaten. Uh you know, Tennessee has only lost one other game after losing to the Giants uh, in the opening game of the season. Baltimore, if I remember correctly, is leading their division. Okay, and and you know nobody nobody says that that team is that either team is is a fraud right now. And while Green Bay has been having their problems, still it was that was a great win uh, against uh, Green Bay. And, and you know Green Bay hung tough against Buffalo last night. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know, they're they're not beating the worst teams in the league uh, necessarily. Even Chicago, who they beat, is uh, is playing better ball. Uh, mm-hmm. now and uh and even carolina if carolina if uh if tj moore doesn't doesn't take off his his helmet carolina i think is leading the <laughs> nfc south this morning <laughs> it's you know, brian dayball says it all the time it's hard to win games in the nfl yeah. it doesn't matter what the team's record is coming into a game or leaving a game it's hard to win games you have to do a lot of things right and we've we've seen it for years tony you've seen it i've seen it it doesn't matter if one team is you know 10 and 2 and the other team is 3 and 7 the game is likely to come down to five or six plays yeah i mean yesterday came down in a lot of ways it came down to Richie James fumbling two punts that cost the Giants 10 points. It came down to a play that that nobody thinks too much about, but Daniel Jones missing Lawrence Cager on a deep ball, I think, in the first quarter that I don't know if it would have gone for a touchdown, but it would have changed momentum. It would have changed field position. It would have put the Giants in scoring position and a, probably a couple of other plays. There was a a 42-yard punt return by Richie James that set the Giants up at the Seattle 35 with a very, very questionable blindside block. I don't know how you get a blindside block out of a double team when the blindside block happened because one of the blocks happened to turn the guy around. Yeah. I don't know how that's a blindside block when it's part of a double team. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terrible, block. but that, that cost the giants, what 50 yards of field position mm-hmm. and took them out of what was automatically, 
you know, scoring position. Mm -hmm. So the game comes down to, you know, to a few things. And no matter what the records are, the Giants have had those things go their way so far. And Sunday they didn't, but but six and two is still six and two. And it's for me, it's a good harbinger for the second half of the season, but it also established what I think is more important. I think it's established that this team has a good coaching staff, that it has a good front office that it has a path out of this darkness they've been in for the last however many years, and that that the future looks bright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they had, a, they had a really tough task, I thought, this Sunday with, uh, you know, having come, this is their third road trip in, in four weeks, including an eight-hour trip in one direction, time zone-wise, and then a six-hour trip in another direction, time zone-wise. Uh, they're playing in the rain yesterday. They're playing in front of a hostile crowd in a stadium that's known for its ability to disrupt opposing offenses with the noise they make. And I think you saw that yesterday while the Giants were on offense. I thought uh, Tyree Phillips in particular was having a tough time uh, with, with things over there at, uh, at right tackle uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, they, and they still, they still managed to, to play well under pretty adverse conditions. And they came up against a good op opponent that mostly played well yesterday and a team that's well coached and they were still in the game on until the end even with five minutes to go uh really you know they they uh they could have tied the game up and it just didn't go right for them in those last five minutes so i'll i'll take that although when, when you think about the kinds of expectations that most of us came into the season with i would have been i think i predicted the giants were going to win seven games this year well we're, we're still not even halfway through the schedule quite and uh, they've already got six so so you know what do i have to be disappointed about uh, if they can win a few more get to 10 wind up 10 and 7 i'd be happy as a clam there you go vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tony, real quickly, we are live streaming on YouTube, and we have a couple of folks who are asking us if Daniel Jones looked slow on Sunday. I'm going to ask you for your opinion on that before I give my answer. Just your thoughts on whether he looked slow yesterday uh, when he was running some of the some of the the read option stuff and moving around in the pocket. 
So I don't think he, to me, he didn't look physically slow. I think that he was rolling out and looking downfield and wasn't seeing them bite on things that, that the defense bite on things maybe that, that uh, they usually bite on and they were perhaps taking away things that had been open in previous games and, and without, you know, without seeing the whole field the way, the way you can, let's say in all 22 film, uh, I don't know whether that was really true or not, but it looked to me just as, as if he didn't see the options that he had before that somehow they were, they were keeping him from running the ball himself. And, and he didn't necessarily see a good option downfield for him to take. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that was my impression. I had the same thought that you had, Tony. I, I didn't see anything physically wrong with Daniel Jones. I didn't see any physical issue with an ankle or a knee or him not moving well. What I saw was a Seattle team, and Jones even talked about this after the game, a Seattle team that played the quarterback run really well, a Seattle team that looked at the film and understood how many times Daniel Jones has made that play fake and rolled out this season and had no defenders in sight. When he tried that on Sunday, there was an edge guy in his face. When he tried, when he tried the, the, the zone read stuff on Sunday and came around the corner, there wasn't green grass for him to run to. There were, two or three Seattle defenders forcing him to get down. So I, I didn't see slow. I just saw a better defense from Seattle. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think we have to remember, right. Is that, is that the giants have not won any of their games by overpowering, dominating the opposition, not a single one. I mean, they've won six games. Not once. Can you say that they, that they really dominated uh, the game? Uh, you know, maybe the Chicago game, they, they did a little bit, but, but even, even that one, not, not all that much. Uh, and now teams have eight games worth of film to look at. And so they're seeing what the Dable Kafka offense is doing. Um, I mean, they're seeing what Wink's defense is doing, but I think, I don't know that Wink is doing anything different qualitatively than what he's done for years. So people probably know what to expect from, from Wink on defense. It's just that he, he fools you into you know, by by not letting you be able to figure out which guy is going to come on the rush. So so you know McKinney got a a, a clean path to to Geno Smith yesterday on one of those plays where he manages to spring a guy completely loose, even though the team knows that some kind of a of a of a blitz is coming. But on offense, I think people are starting to see the game plan, and and you, you didn't even have to go through their entire season. You just had to look at last week's Jacksonville game to see how the giants were killing Jacksonville on, on what Daniel Jones uh, was, was doing. And they came up with a way to, to, to cut that off on, on defense. And that's something then that, that Dable and Kafka are going to and Kafka are going to have to think about, I think over the bye is okay. Now the teams are kind of getting wise to what we're doing. How do we, how do we do new stuff off that and start showing more of that as eye candy and then going in a different direction? I still though it still comes down to me with you can try to do something different, but you still have to have the personnel to get it done with. Well, that's where I was going to go next, Tony, because it leads us into the next topic that I want to talk about, and that's the trade deadline. This very narrow path that I've been talking about, 
has largely been because of, I think, the personnel that the Giants have, not to mention some of the injuries that they've suffered recently in the offensive line. There, there are certain players the Giants have who can be playmakers, and those happen to those happen to be Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and sometimes Darius Slayton. And there are there are other things they try to do at this point. Wandale Robinson sometimes has, you know, he's shown flashes, but he's still a young kid figuring it out. The the question that I have, and I've written about it a couple times at big blue view. So I'm going to ask you to weigh in on it first. The trade deadline is Tuesday. What, what is your feeling? What are your thoughts on on how Joe Shane should look at this trade deadline. Should he go all in to help this team this year, or should he have some patience? So I definitely don't want him to go all in on helping this team this year. I'd love to see the Giants make a move because I think the team might get pretty frustrated in the second half if the passing offense remains the way it is with, with so few options available. So I'd love him to add someone, but I think the conditions have to be very right. So to me, the right conditions are you're not going to trade for a veteran receiver who's, who's pretty far along in his career. So to me, that eliminates someone like Brandon cooks. I don't want someone who's going to be turning 30 soon. Uh, if you can get someone relatively young, someone still on a rookie contract, then then that's what you go for. And then the question is, what do you give up in order to do that? And the way I have started to think about it is, first of all, I don't want a first round pick going. I don't want a second round pick going to another team. I want the Giants to hold on to those. Then after, after the second round, then it becomes interesting. The way I have started to think about it is, okay, who would you have traded Kadarius Tony for straight up among receivers that are out there? Would you have made a straight up deal for Jerry Judy? Send send Kadarius Tony to Denver for Jerry Judy. Uh, I think the way things have evolved with with Tony, despite his immense potential, which which may be realized in Kansas City, I would have taken. I think Jerry Judy for for Kadarius Tony straight up the way things have gone. So if I would have done that, then I would be willing to give up that third round cop pick that Kansas City gave the Giants for Tony. I'd be willing to give that up for a receiver like Judy. Now I don't think I don't think Denver will do that. And so I don't expect that to happen. I think Denver will want much more than that. But uh, but that's the kind of level of thing that that I would be willing to do. Uh Chase Claypool is not a guy that thrills me necessarily. Uh, but again, if you could get him for something like a fourth round pick and so on, you know, then you do it. And, and I think so. I, I So to me, if I'm Joe Shane, I'm out there looking, I'm I'm listening to to offers. I may be making some offers myself, but I'd be willing to stand pat and not do anything if I don't get an offer that I like. I don't I'm not desperate to to make this playoff run this year. Absolutely. I think you and I see this the same way. And and I see the Kadarius Tony trade as a little bit of a tipping point, I guess, because it gives the Giants the two third round picks. And it gives the Giants, for me, it gives them the option of using one of those third round picks to make a move. But as you said, and as I've written at Big Blue View, 
a number of times, it cannot be a short-sighted 2022 move. It has to be a a move with the long-term in mind, maybe a move that, yes, it might help the Giants in 2022, but it has to be a move for a younger player who's got some time left on his contract. DJ Moore, I've mentioned, I don't think, I don't think the Giants can get DJ Moore for a third-round pick. I don't think they can get Jerry Judy or probably Chase Claypool for a third-round pick. But if they could, you put that on the table and you say, "I'll give you a, th- I'll give you one of my threes plus, you know, maybe a day three pick and see if if somebody will bite on that. If that's not good enough, it's not good enough, and you just move on. Mm-hmm. If if you can get another of these guys that's that's maybe more of an incremental upgrade a guy that that hasn't gotten a full shot where he is right now and, and the guys that I'm thinking about are Therese Marshall of of Carolina or Denzel Mims of the Jets if if you can get one of those guys for a 6th or a 7th round pick and remember that the Giants are going to have compensatory picks in round six and seven for uh, I believe it's for the loss of Lorenzo Carter and Keon Crossan. So they have an extra pick or two to play with at the end of day three. So if you can get a guy on a rookie contract who might be an incremental upgrade, who you can simply look at as a flyer who, who might help you might be a better player than David Sills or Marcus Johnson, you take that shot. Otherwise, you don't mortgage frontline future assets. You don't take on a player who's who's aging beyond his 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 primary productive seasons. Brandon Cooks is the name you mentioned, and and, and I'm just not big on on acquiring Brandon Brandon Cooks, especially since uh, I think he's owed. million total in 2023 and 24. And I just don't want to go anywhere near that. But uh, so I do think overall, I think we see this one the same way. Tony, last topic for you. Keep asking when we do these SB Nation reacts polls, I keep asking about expectations and whether expectations are raised for the Giants and, and how many wins people would be satisfied with at this point. Not necessarily how many wins do you see, but but what do you expect over the second half of the season, and and what would satisfy you? What would make you happy? You know, watching the Giants over the final nine games. So I think at this at the beginning of the season, as I said, I think I predicted seven wins, and I thought I'd be happy to see seven and ten coming out of of this season as a sign that they were starting to make a little progress. You know, once you've got six in the bag and you've got nine games left, then I think, well, one out of the last nine would, would I think, disappoint me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so just a little. So, so yeah. So my expectations have been have been raised. On the other hand, second half of their schedule actually is pretty difficult. The fact is that that Philadelphia is playing absolutely great, and no one has really come that close to defeating them. And uh, 
those two games are going to be very difficult for the Giants to win. They're division games, and so anything is possible, but but Philadelphia looks like a really, really tough team. They've got two of those. Playing at Dallas on Thanksgiving is a tough assignment as well. Right. And so, you know, you've got a few games there that 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 are going to be tough. Minnesota's looking like a tough assignment. They're another team that I think is exceeding expectations this year. Um, I, I'm still not sure exactly how they're doing it. And I haven't really you know, watched much of, of their games. But going to Minnesota, I think that's when that one is on Christmas Eve, if I remember correctly, is a is a tough game also. So what it comes down to, you know, they've got they've got Houston after the break. They've got to win that game. I think that's the. That's probably the worst team that they will see all season. They have to win that game at home. Detroit looks like a terrible team, except that they have this this pretty amazing offense. Detroit scores points on almost everybody, (laughs) you know, even though even though Jared Goff is quarterbacking them. And and I think it's because they have a great offensive line. I think that has a lot to do with it in a good running game. But um, uh, so I'd like to see the Giants pick up those two. And then you've got then you've got to find a couple more wins between the the two Washington games and the Indianapolis game, you know, and if they can, if they can come out with four victories uh, uh, in the, in the last half of the season and wind up, let's say 10 and seven, I'll be, I'll be thrilled to see that as a result. Yeah. Again, I think we agree. I said at the beginning of the year, when people tried to pin me down on, on what would be a successful season, I never really wanted to put a number on it, but what I kind of kept coming back to was break that string of double digit loss seasons. And, and I still think that in a way, obviously expectations have been raised, but if this team, if this team gets to, to nine wins to 10 wins, whether that's good enough to make the playoffs or not, I think that when you, when you take the 30,000 foot view, when you look at when you look at it, in a lot of ways, the season's already a success because I think we're finding a coaching staff that you can trust. I think we're finding a front office that knows what it's doing. I think we're finding some young players who get it, who who get what it takes to win and how to work and how to be professionals guys that you can go forward with. So in some ways it's already been a success. I'd love to see more in the second half of the season from a guy like Wandale Robinson. I would love to see the giants develop some other ways to get big plays on offense. I don't think we've seen what Wandale Robinson can fully do yet. It would be great if they if they were able to add any sort of help at wide receiver that would be as i've said even an incremental upgrade from Marcus Johnson and David Sills and Richie James and i i can't put a number on it tony maybe it's 10 you obviously just don't want to see this team fall apart in the second half of the season and but you know but shoot from a, as i said from the 30,000 foot view if they can get to 10 wins that that's a great season for for a team just starting out in a uh, in a new era of of football. Yeah, and I think and I think the other thing is is that you, yeah, I'm sure they're going to be losing some games in the second half of the season. I said because they have a few really difficult opponents to play. What you want to see is them not getting blown out 
in those games against better opponents. You want to see them being being competitive against against good competition, and they and they were in the first half of the season. Uh, I just think that that the degree of difficulty is a little higher with a couple of the teams they're going to be facing in the in the second half of the season. And so you you want to see that they can actually compete with those teams, even if they wind up, let's say, in the end, losing by two touchdowns the way they did yesterday. The other thing that that I'm looking for is is development. Okay, and and you know they're they're in a bad way now with injuries. They've had so many people injured. But for example, I think about the offensive line. Okay, and some point Evan Neal's going to be back at some point we hope Ben Bredesen's going to be back uh I'm interested to see how much Nick Gates can actually make it back now that he's now that he's gotten back into into the lineup can he actually be a you know a, a viable option to get a significant number of snaps uh in a game and uh, what about these other guys like like Jack Anderson that I saw on the field yesterday? Can they get a, a decent snaps? Can Azudu improve and and become a real option there? And by the way, Matt Pert now is is uh, I believe has been uh, cleared to practice. Yes, cleared, yeah, cleared to practice. Okay, and so what can this coaching staff do with Pert? Pert or Pert was a was a guy who in his rookie year. Looked like he was going to be good. Pert gave gave Chase Young all he could handle as a as a rookie in a couple of games there, and then all of a sudden last year he he just fell off the the face of the earth, uh, it seemed. And what would what would he do under Bobby Johnson? Is he somebody who can actually become a productive option at at tackle uh, for depth? And if if you get positive answers to some of those questions, then all of a sudden the Giants' offensive line situation is actually looking pretty good for the future when it it looked so dire the uh you know before the before the draft and so I, i'd like to see whether it looks like they're building strength in some of these areas where they actually might already have people under contract who might help them if they can come back and, and perform absolutely tony and so nine games to go for the giants by week this week so uh guys uh I know you you all will have your honeydew lists this week. Make sure that uh, that you get all of that taken care of this weekend. Get all the yard work done. Get all the chores done. Get everything done this weekend so you're ready to rock and roll and and ready to watch some football when the Giants get back to action in uh, in week ten. So uh, Giants fans, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. Please take care of each other. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping, and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. 
Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.